Patricia, I've, I've read this game in your book. Um, yeah. The guys have no idea what's coming their way. You know the the proverb game. You invented yeah. it. So yes, yes. the only thing in, in order to do this uh, online in this way, we need to have an order in which we speak. So I'll um, if I say the first word and uh, Andrew says the second and John says the third and Billy says the fourth and we keep going in that order. Patricia, Andrew, John, Billy. Got um, okay. so, so the idea is um, we're going to, uh, uh, without knowing where we're going, we're going to create a wise saying, a proverb. And when we get to the end of it, we'll just say, yes, 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 yes. Uh, if we, and that, and the end means anytime we finish the sentence. And so um, I'll start and then Andrew's going to add a word. And we'll keep adding word and find out what we get. Are you with we're, me? Yeah, we're going to create ancient volleyball proverbs right now. And you, sorry, you can only say one word. One word, yeah, and only I'm, one word, and we and we keep going until it makes sense. Got it. Got it. All right. I'll begin now. An ancient proverb for volleyball players: Remember that when you. Strike the ball. It should never fly. False. <laughs> should never. Yes, 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 yes. It's really hard following John. Jeez. <laughs> John, I set you up. <laughs> it's all about setting up your partner. It's all about setting up your partner. Absolutely. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out. We are joined by Patricia Madsen, who is a uh, an amazing person. She is the author of a book called Improv Wisdom. She taught drama and improv at Stanford University beginning in 1977. And her book, Improv Wisdom, was recommended to me by Mr. Diraj Coates, friend of the pod. Um, and Patricia came and worked with the beach volleyball team at Stanford. She blew our minds. She showed us some improv games that we'll do before practice and competition, taught us how improvisational sports truly are, and we are lucky to have her on the show tonight. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a, a true honor to be here. Yeah. So I, I want to start off saying that you know your book is about improvisational acting, um, but it, it really applies to so many different parts of life. Um, yes. And if you go through the 13 maxims of the kind of the chapter by chapter. I'll just go through them quickly. One, say yes. Two, don't prepare. Three, just show up. Four, start anywhere. Five, be average. Six, pay attention. Seven, face the facts. Eight, stay on course. Nine, wake up to the gifts. Ten, make mistakes, please. Eleven, act now. Twelve, take care of each other. 13, enjoy the ride. And looking through that list or listening to it, it strikes me that 
improvisational acting and playing a sport is pretty much the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. There, um, it's that, um, improv as a, uh, as a way of doing things or a way of looking at things isn't about comedy, but it's really about how we, how we work together to accomplish any, any worthy goal. So it's, um, the sports or business or medicine, human relations, all kinds of different things. And um, if you are already playing a sport, then then you're already doing some of these things. You're already um, taking care of each other. You're already um, acting um, responsively in in the face of not knowing exactly what's coming next. Because Improvisers don't know what the outcome is going to be, but they have a, a joint purpose. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think a lot of the things have, have application. Uh, it, it seems like you could, you could sort of almost go maxim by maxim and say, how does it apply to your sport? And, um, it, it's interesting to me how a different metaphor, which is for can help us sometimes shed light on something that already has its own language and set of terminologies and kind of uh, in-jokes and rules and guidelines. Yeah, so, you know, going uh, to the first maxim, say yes, you know, you talk about the importance and value of saying yes to as many things as you can in life and, and the detriment of something that you call blocking which is funny because that's a volleyball term for something that is good. Um, but good, blocking, yeah. but blocking in an improvisational sense is when you are saying no or change the subject mm-hmm. or correcting the speaker mm-hmm. or failing to listen mm-hmm. or ignoring mm-hmm. the situation at hand. Um, yeah. What ways have you been able to help students go from being a consistent blocker of uh-huh. improv to saying yes more? Well, I think um, in the context of, a, of an improv class, what we discover is how much energy yes unlocks, that there's something about, um, about saying no or correcting or being in your own sort, of, own sort of place that cuts off the energy of whatever you're doing. So the yes idea is a pretty easy sell in an improv classroom. And I think it's more than just being agreeable and being positive. The, the real important thing about the yes rule is yes and. If you think about it, um, in life we can say no, or we can say yes, but, or we can say yes, or we can say yes and. And the yes and takes, accepts whatever is given, whatever premise we're working in, or in, in your own terminology, whatever ball and angle comes your way, we accept it, but we're going to and it. And I think in the volleyball metaphor, the and is getting it back over the net or getting it back into position so it can go over the net. There's a way in which we're always trying to accept whatever the, whatever the throw is and turn it into um, a win or, or back over the net. I don't know your your mm-hmm. the proper terminology here so correct me yeah that makes sense just i guess to give an example more on the just the conversation or relationship and 
like let's say I'm a head coach and a player or an assistant coach kind of gives a suggestion that I don't agree with or don't want to take. Um, I had a, mm-hmm. an example being like Andrew, my assistant coach, asks me if we should start John this game, which is you know crazy and obviously a mistake. Um, obvious. <laughs> how do I how do I respond without shooting him down or blocking him? Well, I think what you're trying to find there is look for the kernel of good. There's something in that that you might be able to leverage. What is positive, rather than just saying, no, we can't put him in, of course not. Mm -hmm. You might want to say, yeah, what is it you think he can bring to it? And listen, hear that out, because there may be a way in which um, there's, there's a compelling reason why that odd choice might be just right. Um, an example I sometimes give when I'm trying to, what do you do with an obvious no? It's like uh, a little girl comes up to her mother and says, Mommy, Mommy, can, can I have a pony? Can I have a pony, Mommy? And the um, most mothers would say, of course not, darling. We can't afford it or we don't have a place to put it. But an improv mom would look for what is, what's the kernel of possibility in that request. Mommy, Mommy, can I have a pony? Mommy might say, well, I didn't know you were interested in ponies. I think there's a pony ride down at the beach. We might go there. Or how about going to the library and let's check out all the books on ponies. Hmm. So the idea of dealing with this yes mind is what is, what is the kernel of possibility in the thing that seems clearly to be no. And you may not end up going fully in, in a direction of yes, but it means opening yourself to the possibility of something that initially seems like, nah, not a good idea. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I could see, um, I think for sure in improv, I, I'm guessing listening is such a important piece. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's a Huge. skill that uh, a lot of us um, need to work on, me for sure. Um, but I wanted to actually ask you about um, the side, like the, the performing side, how, I mean, I imagine myself just being so nervous being up there and, and trying to be on the spot and come up with stuff. So how do you help performers manage fear anxiety? Well, when you think about it, um, if you don't know what's coming next, if you don't have any idea where the scene is going or even what it's going to be about, you certainly need all of your attention on listening to what's just happened or to the first offer or, or, or the first serve in a way. All of your effort if your attention's really on what's in front of you, um, there's, there's not much left to be doing that worrying thing that we do when we're all concerned about what people are going to think about us. Improvisers have to deal with the, they have to come sort of a 150% into the present moment to, that their entire world, everything in the past blocks out, all of their hopes and dreams, and even the preparation behind them, and they're 150% on just being here now, watching that ball come at you. And, and an improviser on stage can't be thinking up or coming up with an idea about where it can go, because then his mind is not on watching the ball come at you. And that's the training that we have, is we we give up this notion of coming up with something. It would be as bad, I guess, in, in volleyball as 
you see that surf coming and then you have an image in your mind of, of how it's going to go and you're thinking about what you might need to do. And in that thinking, 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 you miss keeping your eye on the ball in the, in the moment. So it's a kind of listening with your home, whole body that uh, is going to make you a better volleyball player and a better improviser. It's the sort of thinking ahead to what, um, what we're going to do rather than letting, letting the body-mind instinctively respond to what's happening right now. It's a real kind of, um, there's a lot more, I think, about um, improvising and volleyball that is more like um, mindfulness or some kind of a meditation where you're staying right in the moment. And that, um, so uh, improvisers don't have the luxury of thinking things up. In fact, that gets in the way of just being present uh, enough to respond moment by moment. So then when, when those thoughts creep in of uh, maybe the future or, or the past, mm -hmm. how, how do you get to be more present? Do you have tips for that? Well, I think it's that uh, we're always somewhere. So it's possible that the, the first player comes on stage and says something like, hey, that's a nice dog you've got there. Now, all of a sudden, that becomes the reality. We're on stage, the two of us, and there's a dog on stage with us as one of the players. So that's the world that, that I want to be uh, living in. And all I have to do is figure out just the next thing to say or do, in this case, because we're making up a story. And so I want to advance that um, nice dog you've got there. Uh, a bad improviser or someone who doesn't know how to play it would say, that's no dog, that's a cat, or that's my wife. And everybody would laugh because when we, when we cut something down and block, we... Uh, block in the sense of deny someone else's reality, we, we lose the story. So um, I forget now which question I was answering. There's a robocall. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Say, yes. Say yes. Say yes. Answer it. <laughs> Say yes. Say yes. Right. I got a Chinese robocall in the middle of this interview. I love it. Um, oh, my gosh. No, yeah, basically just how, how you um, yeah, can get back in the present moment when, when those thoughts of the past or the future are you know, creeping into your mind. Well, you just have to, it, it's like a windshield wiper, just brushing them aside. You just can't go there, but you also, you don't want to, um, it, it's, it's like if this thought comes into your mind, you don't want to entertain it, invite it in for a cup of tea because then you're lost. And then you're off down somewhere else. Um, it's another thing that I think is, is good improv habit that's good for, um, for players is that if you make a mistake, say, um, uh, say you lose a point or you do something that doesn't work, um, you in a millisecond have to turn around and wipe that slate clean so that the next moment uh, is whether you're serving or whether you're receiving, I suppose if you've had a bad moment, you're going to be receiving, um, that, that you, there is no time for self-indulgence in, oh, how awful that was, or I screwed up. Um, 
we just have to take a deep breath and immediately get back into the present moment, opening up wide with our attention and our energy. Yeah, I think it's incredible how intertwined improv and volleyball are because mm -hmm. premeditation of what's going to happen in the next play is just generally not, not a great way to play. Um, and Patricia showed our team a, this great exercise, this little improv game where we start throwing words around and there's no way that you can premeditate with the way that the game is set up. And basically like, John, if I throw a word to you, then you have to take the last letter of the word I sent to you and make a new word with that. And um, it, it's obviously not involving playing volleyball, but it does get you into that awareness of, Oh my gosh, like, am I actually here and now and, and in this moment with the people around me? Um, and Patricia, going, going back to your book, something that I loved was you talked about how social psychology experiments confirm that we don't listen very well when we are about to be mm -hmm. called upon. Like, let's say we're mm -hmm. in a group and we're all introducing ourselves. If you're introducing yourself before I am, I'm probably not hearing you. I'm just thinking about what I'm going to say mm -hmm. and, and how we enter situations with heightened awareness um, and what you need to do becomes obvious and you discover that you already have the answers. Like you don't really need to be thinking about it too much ahead of time. But something that I think a lot of coaches can relate to is preparing for timeouts. Um, mm. because you want to be engaged with the, the moments leading up to a timeout, but you also want to have some semblance of an idea of what you want to discuss or, or get across during that, the precious, 30 seconds or minute or two minutes that you have with your team. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, how do you balance that? You know, wanting to get across some, some strategic information or tactical information while also, you know, being fully engaged in the moments leading up to it. Well, certainly in the role of the coach, you're watching everything that's going on and you are, uh, it's not exactly thinking ahead. You're, you are responding to the improvisation that is the game so that, in a sense, you're just adding another yes. When, when that timeout comes and, you, and the group forms around you, you've been looking at the last um, period of play, and it's like you're, you're an improviser adding the next thing that's needed, and that next thing might be an adjustment that they need to make. So... As a coach, you're improvising, too, by watching everything with 150% of your um, understanding and skill. And then those timeouts become very useful moments of integration or uh, reflection or shifting of emphasis. Um, so it's just another moment in the improv. And nobody knows what the end of the game will be. And that's, that's true when we're improvising. We... While we have a desired outcome to win, we, we let go of it so that we're not thinking about the win. And instead, we're thinking about this moment and the ball and what, what, we're, what we're doing right now. And if there's something that we can do that will make it a little better, we'll give this new thing a try. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And then... Uh... Patricia, in the third maxim, just show up, you discuss the importance of being physically present as a huge step. 
uh, and the importance of rituals. Can you talk about how rituals trigger uh, trigger performance? Sure. I, I think that rituals help us transition from ordinary life uh, through the um, what what is oftentimes that sort of uh, the mental stuff, fear and anxiety and, and performance anxiety that gets in the way. So a ritual can be the way in which you um, lay out your clothes uh, on the morning. Uh, if I want to, um, if I want to run every morning as part of my regimen, uh, a ritual might be to lay out the running clothes and my shoes neatly in a particular place so that when I get up in the morning, I see them first thing. And before I start wondering, oh, I really don't want to do this or I'm too tired or I am, I'm just in more sleep. You see it, you see the running shoes and your neatly folded uh, uh, shorts and you jump out of bed and get in them. So a ritual could be um, something you do for yourself that, that brings your mind into the first steps of what you need to do. Um, and it, I think it's helpful in, in working with those the question you asked earlier about how do you deal with performance anxiety? It's just this now, just this now. And that's, um, I don't have to win the game. I don't have to jump over the net. Uh, I just have to put on my shorts. <laughs> I just have to take this next step. So it's kind of keeping things simple. Um, and sometimes improvisers have their own little rituals that they like to do before a, a, a group game. There's, a, there's a, uh, a game we didn't do, but it's a lot of fun and it's really simple to explain. You stand in a circle and the idea is that you're going to, um, the group is going to uh, just say the letters of the alphabet in order. And no, well, A, B, C, D, E, but we don't know who's going to go first and who's going to go second. So somebody starts, somebody's brave person says A, and someone else says B. Now, if... If two people say C at the same time, that cancels the game and we have to go back to A. So the idea is that we're all ready to participate in this. Um, and we're going to overlap from time to time and have to start again, because that honors the fact that we do, we're not perfect. But we're trying to learn how to share control without dominating or hogging, uh, hogging the net, so to speak. Um, it's a, and that's a delicate balance because I think most often players maybe have a preference for uh, whether they drive or dominate or whether they're a receiver. But I guess in, in um, beach volleyball with, with two players, uh, that you really have to be able to play both roles. The maxim that really jumped out at me was number 10, make mistakes, please. Cause, I mean, mm -hmm. right there, I, I made some mistakes. And uh, I think anybody who's trying to improve at something is going to make mistakes. I'm wondering how you can create that, that environment where you feel safe enough to make mistakes. Well, I think that, that's a great, great question because we all, you know, we hear that in all sorts of different trainings, uh, make mistakes, or okay, or you'll never do anything if you don't make mistakes. I think part of it is that the coaches model that too, that they're not afraid to, um, uh, to give an instruction or try something that doesn't work and sort of um, being not that you're purposely trying to make mistakes but allowing yourself to be the model of someone who uh, 
doesn't always have it perfect. And, and um, so that's one of the ways is, is modeling mistake making. The other is is trying things, I don't know, like improv or group activities where we're not going to get it perfectly and laughing together. So there's, there's a way in which um, making mistakes in an improv game doesn't seem like it's going to matter very much, where it might matter a great deal in, in the final rounds of the tournament. But the more we're able to have situations where um, mistakes are just part of the territory and we all laugh and understand them, I think that's, uh, that's desirable. I'm sure each coach has, has his, or own, his or her own way of, of how you handle them in practice. And, um, and how you support the player uh, who tried something, even if it didn't work. Um, Patricia, I have a follow-up on that. And it's kind of, it's actually a listener question from Diraj who recommended your book to me. If someone gets into that space where they feel like they've made a mistake, how do you coach them through that? Hmm. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, coaching through mistakes. Well, all mistakes, I think, um, oh, I'm sure whenever I say all anything, it can't be true. Um, <laughs> mistakes are outcomes that we don't find desirable in some way or unexpected outcomes. I think a, a, a good way to look at a mistake, if you're going to debrief it somehow, is what's the learning in this? What could I have done or uh, what was what was the body reflex? Um, is there is there a learning in the thing that happened that we're calling a mistake? And also uh, patting them on the back for having tried something that uh, that was hard. And then uh, Patricia, I know this. We've talked about it before, and like obviously this book wasn't written with volleyball in mind, but some of these principles do transfer. But two of them, just on the surface. Uh, seem to bump up, get, bump up against traditional sports mantras. Um, so, is there any yeah. way? Is there any way we could apply? Don't prepare, and I guess one we haven't really covered: be average. Um, be how, average. Yeah. How does that? How, how could you apply that to sports performance or coaching? Great. Well, actually, in the book, there's a sports metaphor that talks about the be the be average uh, one. Well, let, let me look at that one first, because there's a way in which, of course, we're all trying to excel and to do our best and to give it 120%. That's, uh, that almost goes without saying. But we, we've all had the experience when we're trying our best, or it's got to be perfect this time. This is, this is for all the marbles. We put all of our energy on getting it just right. One of the things that can happen is that everything tenses up and that our natural ability to do something gets lost in that. There was a, the example in the book was um, a, uh, um, a sports golly. Uh, it was a, a the football. It, it was a long snapper in football. Yeah. It was a long snapper in football, and uh, and the player who has made a million of these uh, field goals uh, for the final point was he just was trying so completely to do it perfectly this time, he screwed it up and lost it. And he said to himself, if I just 
given an average kick, would have been perfect. That there's a way in which when, when all the marbles are down and we're trying to do our best, that the, it provides a kind of tension in the body and, and the body doesn't have that response to doing it just naturally. And so it's almost a trick of mind when, when the chips are really down, uh, don't try to do your best. Instead, allow yourself to relax and do the thing you know how to do. There's some way in which that, that the body knows how to do it properly if we will just make an average serve. <laughs> uh, I, and I don't know whether you've experienced this, but I've seen it time and again, especially when there's like, um, I, I'm, I have an interview and it's got to be perfect or an audition and it's got to be perfect or I've got to make this one count. Um, that instead of expanding into our natural ability to do these things, we tense up and the body clutches and, um, and we ruin that moment. So, uh, and, and I, I'm not saying it's the be all and end all, but I, you might have a discussion about that. What happens to yourself if you say just I tell artists, for example, you can make an average painting or actually make a bad painting. Go ahead. Let's, I have a group of women that meet on Fridays that do bad art night and they get together with their paints and, and supplies and everything. And uh, we come together because we can all do bad art, right? We do, we do that too, Patricia. Yeah. yeah. Do you? Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. We have a whole club centered around it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, it's a, a, a clever a clever trick of mind that sometimes is just what's needed when everybody is trying a little too hard. And, um, but I, I think all of these maxims you use with, with your own natural uh, wisdom about what's appropriate now. And I guess the other one that was, was don't prepare, was, was that the one that seems counterintuitive? Or was it just uh, show up? Yeah, don't prepare. Don't prepare. Okay. Well, uh, in the second writing of that book, I say, I'm, I'm lying. I, I mean, prepare, prepare, prepare. Go ahead. Prepare all you want. Practice, practice, practice. Do all of your special routines. Get the, get the body motor trying stuff. But at the moment that you come to play, you can't do your preparation. You have to play the moment now. So there's a way in which that preparation is, um, it's not bad in itself. I don't really mean don't prepare, but what I mean is while preparing, don't, don't show up to do your preparation. Mm -hmm. Drop your preparation and show up to play the game or to follow the ball or to just be here now and just keep that ball always in your, in your eyeball and your heart, and whatever other metaphors you use. So it's, uh, I guess I'm not, I'm not against preparation, but I'm against preparation that substitutes for presence and showing up. And Patricia, I love you wrote in the book, um, you had a quote, empty yourself of everything. And mm -hmm. then you went on to mention how there is a famous Japanese actor um, and their, their preparation was uh, a quiet meditation that was focused on becoming empty. 
They yeah. were attempting to set aside their attachment to self and yep. their personal consciousness. Yes, yes. I think there's a way that beautiful example, thanks for bringing that up, that we sometimes, our ego runs the show. And for the most part, if we get out of our own way, and sometimes things like meditation or quietly thinking about letting letting all of my aspirations for being a superstar um, just take a rest and just try to be um, as free, natural, empty, and ready for what comes next. That's great improvisation when you're just there, even if you miss the ball or even if it doesn't work out. Continually refresh yourself to just be, just be there um, and allow the spirit of volleyball to play through you. That's what the actor was trying to get at, not to become the character and to have his ego drum up something that showed himself off as very talented. But it's uh, sometimes the ego gets in the way of our very best work. And uh, it's an ongoing struggle for all of us, I think, for the rest of our lives, because the ego doesn't go away. But sometimes you can um, trick it or play with it and... Um, I think you probably admire players that um, have a certain amount of humility. It's a very attractive trait in most in humans where you can find it. So um, I don't know where you where you learn humility, but uh, I think sports probably is one of the places where it can be taught and learned. I think so too. Um, well, Patricia, thank you so much for for joining us. I think that. You know, reading your book has been huge for me, not just in terms of coaching, but my approach to life and kind of the outlook on things. And um, I, I'm honestly just blown away by the how practical and applicable it is to sport and any sport, I think, not just volleyball or beach volleyball. Um, and anyone who wants to, to read the book, it's called Improv Wisdom. Um, Patricia is happy to come to anyone's team in the United States. So just email her. <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> Show up, right? Yeah. And the, book, the book's available all over the place on Amazon. And it's also as, a, as an e-book and an audio book. If you haven't got time to read, you can plug it in in your car when you're jogging or something. Yeah. Um, but, and you, uh, you know she's going to say yes. So. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate okay. your time. And um, my pleasure. This is this is just a wonderful gift to us and our teams and and our listeners. So we appreciate what you've done for us tonight. Well, it's, it's been my pleasure, and I'll, I have I have enjoyed the podcast. I was um, uh, I was listening to the last one uh, today, and uh, you guys are terrific. You really are. I think it's a marvelous <laughs> idea to to share your coaching ideas, and uh, you know, it would never occur to me that preparation would be uh, lifting weights. I thought, wow, of course, why not? You're not just, you're, you're not just practicing volleyball you know, throws and hips. You're getting your body uh, as strong as it can be. Wow. That's all John does. John doesn't even get on the court. He just lifts weights. <laughs> That's number one. <laughs> yeah.